Well, welcome to another edition of Red Cedar Ranker. We're joined this week um, by some very special guests. And before introducing them, I want to introduce myself. I'm Ed Glazer, the general manager of the MSU student radio station Impact 89 FM, and my co-host, Stefan Hello. Fletcher. How are you? Very good, very good. The holiday season is upon us, uh, yeah. so I was up in uh, uh, lovely, cold northern Minnesota for Thanksgiving, so that was Ooh. that was brilliant. Ooh. Really enjoyed that, Ed. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. It makes uh, the mitten seem downright warm and charming. By uh, it was, it was very, very cold, yeah. uh, and uh, it reminds me why I only go up there twice a year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was that for training? For uh, no, so strength my- Strength training? <laughs> Wasn't for any strength conditioning or, or okay. mental conditioning that I that I'm trying to participate in. Uh, my only family here in the states actually live up in Duluth and oh. Superior, uh, so visited them and then went to the Mall of America uh, the uh, oh. the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and uh, wow. they had. Uh, on Black Friday, they had 10,000 people outside the doors uh, lining up ready wow. for some bargain hunting. So uh, wow. I wore my armor and uh, I survived <laughs> and I am here. Fantastic. So Black Friday and Cyber Monday and have your credit card information stolen Tuesday. What's Saturday again? <laughs> Is it local? Shop local? Uh, small business Saturday. Small business sponsored Saturday. by that very small business, American Express. <laughs> <laughs> right. The uh, the original small business. That is the original small business. <laughs> well, welcome back. It's good to be back. We had, a, I guess, a kind of a brief. Uh, it's been a bit since we've been uh, able to get back in the studio together, but um, yeah, yeah, it's nice to be back. Uh, we're joined uh, this week by uh, two esteemed colleagues. Uh, first of all, to my left, audience, that's your right, Emily Bank, the president of the MSU Council of Graduate Students. Welcome. Thank you for having us. And. Uh, to my right, audience, that's your left, uh, the Dean and Associate Provost of the Graduate School, uh, Dr. Karen Klumperans. Welcome. Welcome. I'm very happy to be here as well. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. I can uh, tell you we're recording this on a chilly uh, finals week morning. It'll be re- released by the time that um, uh, the students have been released as well and the grades, yeah. I might add. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. I know you both have a busy week. So um We'll get into it. Um, first of all, um, tell us a little bit about, Emily, the MSU Council of Graduate Students and uh, your role as president and some of the things that you've kind of uh, taken on this year so far and things you're looking forward to. Sure. Um, so the Council of Graduate Students is the official governing body of all graduate and professional students at Michigan State University. Um, and the way that it is set up is that there is a representative from each academic department or program. And um, there are a few select um, student groups, graduate student groups, who also have representation on the council. Um, And we get together about once a month to discuss issues pertinent to graduate and professional students. And um, we have speakers come in from the administration and people who um, want to give more information about things happening pertaining to graduates and professional students. So um, it's just a great opportunity to come together and really discuss the issues and get into the issues. Great. And I should mention, uh, for the record, uh, Stefan, you were, were also a member of the Council of Graduate Students. Yes, for uh, an inordinate amount of time during, <laughs> during yes. law school and then a, a bit of my PhD program. Yeah. Yes. You, yes. Were, yeah, pre- you were president. <laughs> that would also be true. Yes. yes. Multiple <laughs> four years, right? That You have your statistics down this morning. You're like ESPN over there. <laughs> I, did, I did some Googling beforehand. No. Uh, yeah, you were, you're, uh, so no pressure, Emily. He's <laughs> yeah. retired. He's, uh, you just do. I'm not golfing in Florida, though. No, not uh, that kind of retired. You're doing, uh, um, obviously, you're doing the press junket and you're. Uh, apparently um, so. I'm on the press circuit now. <laughs> <laughs> you're a consultant, in air quotes. And, uh, uh, Dr. Klumperens, can I call you Karen or Karen? You may call okay. me Karen. Yes, Great. I just do. got upgraded. Karen, <laughs> you're the uh, dean of the graduate school and associate provost of the graduate school. That's correct. And just as a quick introduction, tell us a little bit about your role in those uh, positions and kind of what you oversee and uh, do on a day-to-day sort of thing. Okay. Uh, the graduate school I would define as the major connecting body on campus between faculty, graduate students, and the administration uh, mm-hmm. on uh, looking at quality graduate education, uh, paying attention to the needs of graduate students, mentoring of graduate students. We also have a role in reviewing the quality of graduate programs on campus, 
we have a role in being ex officio on the University Committee on Graduate Studies, which also includes graduate students, which is the major policy governing body of the campus. Uh, so we have, we connect probably 500 people on campus, faculty, students, staff, in trying to further the quality of graduate education and graduate uh, students on our campus. All right. So the glue that holds it all, holds it all together. That's a good way to say it. All right. Mm. Um, well, we usually kick off after the introductions by doing our Go Green segment, uh, where we just do a quick roundup of Spartan news, brief conversation about each of those. Stefan and I are tasked with bringing in uh, a bit of information. Uh, do you want to go first, or uh, Mr. Co-host? You should or? go first. Okay. Uh, Ed. I will go first for one of the few times. <laughs> um, just wanted to mention a story that I uh, saw on, well, I guess it was the news, MSU News Twitter account. Um, that ran on Michigan Radio last week, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually today. But when you're listening to this, it will have been last week. Okay. That's confusing. Uh, but it's uh, it was about therapy dogs that were helping Michigan State students uh, take a break while studying for their final exams. They had a couple of uh, therapy dogs uh, available at each of the li- libraries on campus. Mm-hmm. And um, that's pretty cool, and I and I had to mention the reason I brought it up is because we also have a therapy dog occasionally pay us a visit. One of our students uh, was training a um, leader dog for mm-hmm. uh, uh, well, I guess several months. I don't remember how exactly how long the program lasts. And it's a very rigorous program, and ultimately, I think a, a pretty significant percentage of dogs that go through that leader program ultimately um, don't make it through to the end um, oh. and just drop out. Uh, well, they're they're tested at various points throughout, okay. And if they don't pass, you know, these rigorous set of standards, then um, yeah, they're they're washed out. Um, they cut, yeah, kind of like Top Gun and um, Top Dog Gun. <laughs> yes. And uh, so yeah, one of our students had been training a leader dog, and uh, the leader dog had made it through the first set of testing, and or the second set of testing, and then I think at the ultimate final set of testing. Um, was dropped from the program and so she was given back to the student who was training her and mm-hmm. uh, uh, submitted her got the credentialing for therapy dogs so we have a I, I can I feel I can safely say this I haven't done all the background checking but we are one of if not the only college radio station in the country with our own therapy dog you have not checked that particular uh, accolade yet though that's I've correct see yeah. that on any MSU press release yeah, yeah. there's no database of uh, therapy dogs <laughs> in available. radio stations in the U.S. that I'm aware of. Uh, now, Karen, Emily, did uh, did uh, either of you see the therapy dogs uh, yesterday by, by any slight chance? No, no, we didn't. Uh, I didn't see any therapy dogs in the graduate school. Although we did have chair massages for any student suffering oh. through the, Ooh, the wow. anxieties of finals week. Oh, okay. that's a toss up. Those yeah. are both good. Those are both good. And it may have been better than the, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think uh, they also had a night of a thousand donuts yesterday at the MSU library, too. <laughs> I just imagine <laughs> copious donuts raining down upon you while you're studying physics. Uh, so uh, uh, yesterday I did see the, phys- uh, the, the therapy dog uh, set, a por- portion of things, and they had a, a version of Lassie in there, a mini collie uh, dog. And it was, yeah, it was really cute until the person who wanted therapy, uh, Lassie, uh, uh, what is my name for the dog? Uh, uh, yeah, kind it's of, an assumed name. We yeah, don't want to. Yeah. Alias. Uh, uh, kind of ran away from the individual. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. And so that was. That would, that's sort of anti therapeutic. That, yeah. I don't know if that adds to your stress. If, yeah. If now, bringing back feelings of abandonment as a child. And yeah. Maybe. The same feelings that drive you into graduate studies. Uh, oh, my God. Well, sure, <laughs> sure, a few people that have a dispute about that. But. Yeah, just kidding. <laughs> um, and I, uh, I actually, uh, um, you know, wanted to talk about a story that uh, got a little bit of, of play in, in uh, the state news and, and, and conversation on campus, and that's about uh, the commencement speakers uh, here, mm. on, uh, here on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, there are uh, three, I guess... And Karen, you know the details better than me, maybe, but there are three uh, featured uh, speakers at, you know, the um, undergraduates, uh, or sorry, the graduate ceremony has Teresa Sullivan, if I'm correct, uh, the current president of the University of Virginia and an MSU alum. And then the undergraduate ceremonies, uh, the two featured speakers are Michael Moore, uh, the filmmaker, uh, and then George Will, who is a columnist uh, for the Washington Post. 
Uh, and uh, I think uh, from what I've seen on, on, in, in, and talked with people about, there is a, a shall I, how will I put it, concern, mm. uh, particularly focused around Mr. Will speaking, uh, comments that he uh, apparently made in a column on June the 6th uh, regarding the you know, various universities' efforts on, on sexual assault prevention and, and raising awareness about the issue. Uh, and uh, Emily, I understand, Cogs took a, 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 some sort of position uh, on this on, on Sunday. Can you uh, just kind of explain uh, that and, and just say where the council was coming from, maybe? Sure. Um, so I can give a little bit of background. <clears throat> on uh, Thursday night, I had a representative email me expressing this concern, and um, it, it got enough backing to it where enough COGS representatives wanted to host a, a special meeting, a, a special COGS full council meeting on Sunday night. Uh, so we ended up doing that, and a um, a, memorandum, a memorandum passed in order to um, to send a um, a communication to several administrators within uh, the university expressing our concern with George Will as one of the MSU commencement speakers, um, and it's specifically regarding the issues of sexual assault on campus and um, ASMSU, the undergraduate student government has made it their mission to uh, really promote ending sexual assault and relationship violence on MSU's campus. And that's something that COGS will be taking up as well. So um, it's really just a message expressing our concern. Um, and and we, we, we aren't sure, I mean, we're not sure what the outcome will be. Ultimately, that is up to the administration. But we wanted to make sure that the concerns of graduate and professional students were heard in a timely manner before the commencement ceremony this weekend. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems like an extremely odd choice given the the you know the focus not just institutionally but nationally. Yeah, and and I we've talked several times. We we had Paulette Granbury Russell on this mm -hmm. podcast talking about the university's participation in the It's On Us campaign, uh, the university's own efforts on this issue, uh, and uh, it, I think it, it surprised. Uh, uh, a few people uh, that I talked with yesterday, that, you know, graduate students, uh, uh, when we were just talking about it, I think they were surprised that given the national conversation that's occurring that, and given this column, uh, that, there, that there was a level of um, – that this was a selection that was made. Mm -hmm. uh, again, Mr. Will, as I think your resolution notes, is a, a pretty respected journalist in terms of – and well-known and prominent, but – uh, given his writing about this particular issue and given the university's efforts, I think a lot of people see a paradox uh, that, that, that was in there that was concerning. And that, I'm assuming, was the basis for, for where these concerns came And I think from. one of the main concerns for us is that graduation for all students at MSU is supposed to be a time for celebration. You have your parents coming, distant relatives coming, and you really you want to you wanna take it all in and you really want to experience and have the best graduation experience that you can. Um, but the fact that these um, that he made such a statement in his June article and in his opinion um, is kind of just taking away from some of that experience. I think that's that's a concern that some graduate professional students have. One of the challenges of choosing graduation speakers mm -hmm. is that those decisions are made anywhere between eight and 12 months ahead yeah. of the actual event. Sure. Um, and at the time, I think MSU was probably looking at the fact that he was a well-respected journalist, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 the other piece is is having conversations on campus. Where else can you have open discourse uh, except on a university campus, where mm -hmm. everyone has a chance to challenge speakers, uh, to have other conversations uh, with those speakers, uh, to ask them why they say what they say, um, mm -hmm. even though you might not agree with them. Although I do agree that this was a very it's now a very sensitive issue uh, mm -hmm. given what MSU is trying to do related to uh, combating sexual assault. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a challenge either way. Uh, as you said, you know, making those decisions months and months in advance, maybe a year in advance. And then um, the, I mean, I think it was, I don't know if you, any of you read the, his, uh, uh, the article in question or the opinion piece in question, but, you know, it just struck me as a very odd um, topic and handling, you know. The way he, he yeah. wrote about the topic? Mm-hmm. And granted, I haven't read you know much of his other work, so I can't put it into context. But in either case, um, it's it's bound to get lively. Uh, and I guess by the time this one goes live, you'll know if there are riots or uh, 
I think it's it's lively uh, in general because you have you have this portion of things. You obviously have the the conversations uh, uh, related to to Ferguson and Eric Garner that are mm-hmm. also weighing a lot on people's minds around campus too. So it's uh, it, it's definitely a, I think a time of year that's definitely one one for celebration and, and everything else. But I feel like this year in particular, there's a lot of um, kind of other conversation occurring around the ceremony. So, Yeah, and I mean, worth noting, Michael Moore is he, uh, tends to be a polarizing figure uh, <laughs> as oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he's maybe escaping under the radar a bit, uh, given the, yeah. uh, the interest with uh, Mr. Will's column and his, his joining us. Yeah, I was going to say, Karen, have you heard anything? Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, with, you know, uh, Teresa Sullivan, the issues at the University of Virginia, have you heard anything from, from graduate students, either of you, on, on President Sullivan coming here? Or do you believe that as kind of a, a separate a separate kind of issue, given given some of the issues that have occurred about uh, alleged sexual assault at, at Virginia? Yeah, I think there was some uh, concern initially. I think the um, the current lambasting of Rolling Stone and the way it collected its data and the way it wrote yeah. its article, I think, has muted that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, she certainly is a um, a courageous president. Um, she was on the hot seat a few years mm-hmm. ago over mm-hmm. wanting to, to embrace more technology in learning um, and ended up um, – uh, keeping her president's job mm-hmm. uh, after a, a quite an interesting uh, set of conversations. Uh, so, and I think the George Will column has probably overshadowed mm-hmm. uh, some of what was going on there at Virginia. Yeah, and, and President Sullivan really, I think, uh, kept her job a lot because of uh, the support of faculty and students and, and other prominent uh, uh, stakeholders in the institution over over some, some of the politics that were occurring. So, mm. yeah. Yes. Yeah, so uh, do either you, uh, Emily or Karen? I'm just kind of excited that I get to say your first name. Uh, <laughs> not that I don't enjoy saying your first name as well, Emily. But, uh, do either of you have uh, stories that you wanted to cover? Or if not, we can kind of get into the meat of talking about uh, graduate studies and issues related to that. Um, I was. I kind of wanted to go back to the, the therapy issue quickly oh. um, and just um, bring up the mental health status of mm-hmm. graduate and professional students. This is something that was brought up at our um, at our November COGS meeting. And I wanted to give a statistic. So the National College Health Assessment data for 2014 um, came out earlier this semester, and uh, it was found that the top factors that affect academics for graduate and professional students are stress um, and then sleep difficulties, anxiety, relationship difficulties, and work. So um, I think in moving forward throughout this year, those that statistic especially, we're going to have to focus programming on that. Um, I think therapy dogs are would be great for graduate and professional students to, to come in and have that and um, continuing with the massage therapy and just finding different ways that graduate students can relax and so that they don't have such a heavy weight on their shoulders with the research they're doing, the work they're doing, um, their graduate assistantships, their relationships, um, going to sleep at two o'clock in the morning and waking up at seven to go teach a class. It's just, it's mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to, to handle. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I know, you know, if, if you talk about the people in the labs until, you know, two, two three a.m. in the morning as well, and then they go and teach a class afterwards, some of them, it's, uh, it's not good, but... Those are the kinds of data that actually got the graduate school started on our graduate student life and wellness mm-hmm. program mm-hmm. about five or six years ago. And we're still one of the few – we're certainly the earliest, one of the earliest in the country and still one of the few that has the breadth of programs that we have uh, related to um, making the graduate student life uh, more balanced uh, mm-hmm. along with their academic studies. Yeah, and we, uh, we've we not talked to Matt Helm on this show, but um, he uh, – someone I met a number of years ago and – um, has uh, been an advocate of, of wellness and also a member of the radio board that oversees our organization. So it's a nice little integration there. Yeah. He's here in spirit. 
<laughs> sitting in that chair, yeah. probably. Uh, and actually, that kind of ties into to the, 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 the core piece of, of the interview. And you, you mentioned graduate student life and wellness, Karen. Can you talk about uh, some of the ways that, that graduate student life and wellness helps to support graduate education at, at Michigan State? Sure. Uh, there's a, n- a number of things that they do related to uh, reaching out to intramural sports, having organized a set of uh, exercise and other kinds of programs for graduate students alone mm. uh, so that they don't need to have the undergraduates who they teach in their classes in the same class. Mm-hmm. And likewise, they don't need to have faculty uh, who do <laughs> my work either in their class. Uh, so there's a, a number of opportunities for students to learn meditation, learn yoga, um, uh, more aerobic exercise like kickboxing, which is one of the more popular ones. Uh, and then there's a whole set mm-hmm. of um, programs that Graduate Student Life and Wellness puts on related to uh, how you deal with writer's block, with mm. procrastination, with time management, uh, with a balanced diet, uh, and, and incorporating exercise uh, into your routine. So those programs have been around for quite a long time, um, and we are uh, integrating those into some of the more academic programs that we have as well. Mm. Uh, for example, we had a uh, write-in uh, at Chittenden Hall, uh, which is our new home, um, mm-hmm. about uh, two weeks ago. Uh, and within a couple of hours of advertising the write-in, we had uh, way more students, graduate students sign up than we could possibly uh, handle. Mm-hmm. But 50 people showed up on a, uh, a cold uh, Friday afternoon, Friday morning actually. Uh, we provide the coffee um, and they did their writing. The entire building was silent for about three and a half hours wow. Uh, wow. while they, they were busy on their laptops and, and a few people with their paper and pencil. Some students had um, writing groups, so they were in some of the smaller conference rooms that we had. We had three or four people from the writing center come over to mm-hmm. assist students right on the spot with a whole variety of issues related to writing. Uh, and we had a person from the... Um, Counseling Center come over, and her specialty is helping students through things like writer's block uh, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, and when we got done, we gave them pizza um, and um, more th- um, water and things to drink. But what one of the interesting things that they asked for was, well, next time we do this, we'd like um, you to call a 10-minute break for us to get up, go outside, walk around, come back in, and and sit then and do more more writing. So that mm. they were actually taking those lessons to heart about incorporating aerobic exercise and being out in the fresh air uh, along with their writing. Yeah. So we plan to have at least one a month uh, of these kinds of write-ins. And if the demand keeps up, we'll probably do more than that. That's wow. fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, the mm. one takeaway is that they wanted to, there to be a next time, which is great. Yeah. And I think that's got to be one of the challenges for um, you know such a dispersed um, – Organization is, you know, the university and the grad student, uh, uh, the grad grad students, I guess, in particular, because, you know, they there's such a tendency to be uh, siloed or insular in your department and not necessarily getting to contact, um, you know, your colleagues across uh, the university at different different uh, departments. And there's so many resources that the university uh, upper administration has really. Um, you know, made a priority to make wellness um, built into the experience of the students. But how do you find out about it unless you're kind of tied in at some level? And I know that they had a uh, they have a uh, grad student fair, and there's a number of welcome events at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that there's there's a real concerted effort to create a more integrative experience for the graduate students. And I'm sure that's a um, a, long, a lengthy process to kind of, you know, uh, bring that about. But it's, it's uh, I guess it's very encouraging to see, you know, the university uh, lead in that area especially. Yeah. Emily, do you want to talk about kind of COGS's efforts uh, in relationship to uh, the integrative experience of, of graduate students here and how you might be able to, how COGS tries to maybe break down some of those uh, uh, silos across departments, et cetera? Um, sure. So, um we do have the uh, – it's co-hosted by COGS and Graduate Student Life and Wellness, um, the opening picnic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something where all graduate professional students can bring their families. Um, there's food. There's a DJ. There's Zumba. <coughs> Who Zumba. was the DJ? Do you remember that? Last oh, no. Year? Here we go. Oh, that's right. It was this radio station. That's right. This radio Cheap station. plug for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's, it's really just a great way to kick off the academic year um, and have – 
have graduate professional students meet each other outside of their departments. Um, a few other things that we have are um, a graduate student section for athletics for the football games. Um, so that's another way that graduate students can come together and um, cheer on their team. And um, we do a lot of partnerships with different departments um, across the university. So, for example, there's um, the the Graduate Leadership Academy and Graduate uh, Leadership Institute, which we co-sponsored this year, mm-hmm. um, talking about leadership resiliency. And it's a way not for just COGS representatives and executive board members to get together, but really to integrate a wide, uh, vast majority of students um, from all walks of campus, law, um, medical students, um, education students, everyone to come together and talk about their leadership styles um, and how their leadership plays in with their academics. Yeah. And and Emily and I compared this on the strengths finder assessment. Oh no. <laughs> Emily has a lot better strengths than I think. What was your what was your top strength or, or one of them? Oh my gosh, I don't even remember. Uh, I think I think one of uh, Emily's was harmony. Oh uh, yes, kind of bringing harmony. people together <laughs> oh, and consensus yeah. building, and that yeah, that's a very useful. It's a very good strength, right? Yeah. Mine was something like significance, which makes me the equivalent of a human peacock, apparently. Oh, uh, <laughs> okay. So great. I, I was like, thank you. I thank you, th- Ray Gasser. I would have said uh, European charm <laughs> was one of your strengths. Is so that uh, on there? Uh, the <laughs> Gallup has 34 listed strengths, Ed. Mm -hmm. European charm does not happen to be one of those uh, designated categories. Oh, all right. So 35 now. uh, I'll call Gallup up later and see if we can add something in there. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, a lot of research is iterative, right? (laughs) You know, you add one variable and you test it in the model. That's true. That's true. Clearly, we're we're pushing new boundaries here. (laughs) We might be able to get a grant at the end of this show. (laughs) Um, so, uh, Karen, you talked about Chittenden Hall earlier on, and uh, I'm somewhat familiar with this uh, this building. Uh, for the listeners who maybe aren't familiar, can you talk about the uh, the work that uh, uh, kind of uh, it took to, as it were, get Chit done? Uh, 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 in as the name of the advocacy campaign went. Happy to. Uh, Chittenden Hall was used by a couple of departments to house graduate students and still a couple of classrooms were being used up until about 1999. And then the building was closed and uh, then Provost Simon uh, decided that it should be a good place to house the graduate school since we had people scattered in three other buildings uh, on campus. Um, it languished for a long time. A uh, new roof was put on, and, and I think the, the building was locked up. But not until uh, about three years ago did COGS start to have an interest in Chittenden Hall. Um, had some great T-shirts printed. Uh, had some, uh, I guess, some 5K races yep. uh, to support Chittenden. Um, and then uh, advocated very strongly with board, board of Trustees members, the president, the provost, the uh, Vice President for Finance and Operations at Michigan State. Uh, And just in the last year or so, uh, President Simon decided that, yeah, it's a good idea. We need to do something related to making graduate school visible. Um, And in fact, it was making graduate school look visible to the graduate students themselves Mm. and giving them a type of a neighborhood like the undergraduates were getting Mm. uh, all across campus. So it was a very fast uh, operation. Uh, the university and board of trustees approved the planning and then approved the funding for Chittenden. Uh, and it was took about 10 months, uh, and the building was completely redone on the inside. Uh, new heating system put in, new cooling system put in, new floors, new ceilings, 62 new windows, mm-hmm. um, and uh, completely redesigned, but keeping all of the best features of a building built in 1901 on our campus. So solid oak doors with big glass transoms, uh, mm. wood floors, wood wainscot, uh, and so on. So it's a beautiful new building. The graduate school and all of the people in the graduate school are now housed in one place. Uh, There's a great room in the garden level of Chittenden Hall called Chittenden Commons, which is really a graduate student lounge. Uh, Graduate students are invited to come and use that anytime. Uh, The entire building has Wi-Fi in it, so it's really easy to sit there, do your work, um, and be able to participate and work with other graduate students, as both Emily and Stefan were saying. Lots of graduate students tell us what they like best about graduate school programs and Chittenden is the fact they can meet students from other 
disciplines uh-huh. and other programs. So yeah. we're very happy to be there, and we invite graduate students to come by and, and take a look at their neighborhood. That's fantastic and somewhat atypical to get a, a project of that size uh, turned around so quickly, I would say. Are there areas in there to um, practice meditation yoga, some of these wellness stuff? That we've talked about? Yes. We have uh, rooms set aside for various times for uh, mindfulness meditation and for and for yoga. Uh, and in those cases, we put a sign out in the front and we ask people to be really quiet and tiptoe around if they want to do that. And we've had students uh, in the building doing that as well. That's fantastic. Uh, the write-in was there. We have a variety of workshops that we offer uh, in Chittenden Hall. Um, advising from the PhD or career services individuals of Matt, Matt Helm is one, Julia McAllen is, is another. Uh, so there's a lot of services in the graduate school that are open for students. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I just yeah. want to um, insert as well that yeah. this space in Chittenden Hall would not be possible without the support and the advocacy of Stefan and his predecessors and COGS. Um, and without the extreme support and advocacy of Dean Clumperens, because her work and I, I just remember going through um, early tours of the space and every time um, we put on our hard hats and our safety goggles and walked <laughs> into the building, Dean Clumperens had a smile glued to her face. She was so excited <laughs> and so happy to be in this new space. And we really we would not be in this space and have such a a creative outlet for graduate students to come to um, without her constant support and advocacy. And COGS actually moved into the space as well. So not only the staff of the graduate school, but COGS is front and center, right on the first floor by the by the front door. Oh, so it's cool. a great opportunity for the graduate school and COGS to have more interactions on a daily basis, which mm-hmm. is, I think, terrific for both of us. Yeah. And for the graduate students that are not uh, necessarily active in um, the political uh, or the, the their representation really in Cogs that to see that and to perhaps you know have an opportunity to become engaged that they wouldn't necessarily otherwise. Yeah. What uh, what are some of the the things that uh, you you both hear and, and this was touched on a little bit, but uh, in terms of like the best things about being a graduate student at MSU, uh, Emily, you're currently uh, obviously a, a graduate student in the, the College of Education. Uh, the, the Master's uh, Higher Ed Administration Program, the Hale uh, Program. What, what would you say you hear as the president of COGS uh, uh, are some of the, the best things and maybe some of the challenges of, of being a graduate student? Um, so probably the best thing I would say that I've heard from fellow graduate students is the world-class education that students are getting from Michigan State University. Um, it, 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 it's a competitive environment, but... Um, Grad students are up to the task and where it's it's just great to be able to come to a university that is so world renowned for its academics and the professors and the instructors and the researchers that we have here on campus. It's just it's great Um, in terms of challenges. Again, I would probably say work life balance for graduate students, Um, a matter of this handling the stress, handling the work. Um, handling the research in the lab for hours and hours on end and then trying to manage relationships, whether those be um, uh, personal relationships, work mm-hmm. relationships. So I think it's really the balance would be the, mo- the biggest challenge for grad students. Karen? I, I can't resist. My, my, um, my view of work-life balance is we've named it incorrectly. It's really work-life juggling. Mm. Uh, because you it, it's you're never t- completely in balance but you're constantly moving one thing back and forth you're paying attention to personal relationships you're paying attention to your work um, and if you're a very good juggler you you might end up with some balance um, but I think juggling is probably more accurate uh, and that's what we're all doing faculty are doing the same things uh, is is that juggle um, I, I would agree with Emily. Um, Michigan State has got a lot of excellent graduate programs, uh, wonderful faculty who are invested in the future of their graduate students. Uh, and in many disciplines, the success of the graduate students is very closely tied to the success of the faculty members, him or herself. Um, and I think the other piece would be um, – even though the statistics are grim when you read some articles about uh, outcomes, particularly at the Ph.D. level and jobs, um, if, if we, as we've looked at the data, 
Every single one of our PhD students who graduates has some sort of employment, and oftentimes it is very connected to their disciplinary area. Uh, It may not be a faculty position in a very large research university like Michigan State, but there are three or 4,000 other kinds of institutions that are out there, and our students are sought after uh, and hired in many of those positions. Uh, Some because they've had a wonderful opportunity to be teaching assistants on campus and really pay attention to student learning, to pay attention to the new forms of pedagogy, to learn online education, which is, of course, uh, I think going to be a growing trend uh, across the country. Um, The use of technology-mediated learning that you can have with gaming, we can have with uh, various kinds of test-taking. Cognitive science is is telling us that uh, mediate Technology-mediated learning is one of the better ways for students to actually remember things and to learn. So there's a lot of things that are out there, and uh, our MSU graduate students have access uh, to learning about all of that, which will make them much more competitive in terms of academic jobs. And then our Ph.D. Career Services program, with its also focus on non-academic training, uh, is going to be another way to get students to think about the skills that they've developed as graduate students, both at the master's and the Ph.D. level, and figure out how they can make a place for themselves in lots of other job sectors across the country and the world. Yeah, I I have a close friend who was involved in graduate studies at Michigan State University and ultimately did not finish his doctoral degree let's his name let's call him Ned Blazer <laughs> and uh or at least hasn't finished it yet and um you know do you see uh, an increasing trend towards people getting their doctoral degrees and then going to some other arena besides mm-hmm. the academy because it seems like uh traditionally there's been a real vested interest in um, R1 research schools producing doctoral students or producing professors that go out into the academy that publish and, you know, um, really champion the, the education that they got here at Michigan State University. I mean, this happens everywhere, but mm-hmm. at Michigan State University and then um, kind of continuing to bolster the uh, reputation of the university uh, by the work that they're doing elsewhere. Um, and, you know, it seems like a natural um, consequence of that is that um, there's an interest, a vested interest in departments in producing those R1 researchers, um, even though that might not necessarily be kind of the best fit for everyone. So do you kind of see an increased trend, not just in terms of jobs being offered, but in in, um, terms of departmental understanding of, you know, increasing their reputation through non uh, R1 research jobs and that sort of thing? Well, the answer to that is actually yes and no. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think it's a myth that um, even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, uh, graduate students who graduated from an R1 university always found faculty positions at R1 university. Sure. Just not true. Not true. Uh, and what I think what we're doing now is we are recognizing that, in fact, graduate students are uh, earning their degrees and they are interested in lots of other kinds of job opportunities and are going to those other kinds of job opportunities and that the the recognition has led us, particularly in graduate schools, to focusing on how can we help our graduate students uh, make sense of their education um, and to get themselves around that myth of you're going to go to an R1 and be a faculty member to looking at all of the good skills that you have of critical thinking, of um, active synthesis of research, of communication skills, to be able to make yourself available and be interested in lots of other kinds of positions that are out there. Uh, so I, I think that there's just as many students now going to non-academic positions, but we're recognizing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, faculty are, are recognizing that that is, in fact, uh, an important outcome of graduate education, and it's being recognized at the national level as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I can even um, let me give you an example that the National Institutes of Health has just initiated a program called BEST, which is a, a program to help biomedical sciences graduate students, PhD students, and postdocs be able to explore other career opportunities other than academic research jobs. Hmm. Um, And they have invested millions in this program. There are 17 universities across the country. Michigan State is one. Uh, our, Our principal investigator is Stephanie Watts in the Department of Pharmacology and Toxicology. She's teamed up with the graduate school, and we're going to be having even more programs to help 
at that set of students learn what they can do with their degrees in the government sector, in the nonprofit sector, in business, in industry, uh, and, and other kinds of places, where they still may be able to use their research skills, but they won't be in an academic position. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Karen, just to just to go back to to, to one thing uh, that, that that you said, and that's like maybe maybe the data now tracks things better in terms of students who go into to non academic uh, fields, and maybe it is uh, you know slightly a myth that there was always uh, a, a job for PhD students who graduated from an R one university that wanted to be a, a faculty member, but. Uh, isn't it also somewhat true uh, that as um, institutions have somewhat uh, have shifted a little bit towards adjunct faculty instead of full tenure track positions, that that also might be driving some of the the swing into to more non necessarily linear uh, career paths? Yeah, I think that's probably true, Stefan. There certainly are more academic and adjunct positions around the country, uh, but I think it's equally true that people have recognized there are. We'll say in round numbers, there's 200, maybe 250, 300 large research universities across the country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, 62 of them are in the AAU, the Association of American Universities, which is uh, the recognized group of very research intensive institutions. But as I mentioned earlier, there are three or 4,000 other kinds of liberal arts colleges, smaller universities that are still hiring regular tenure track faculty members and are also expecting that those faculty members will engage undergraduates at their institutions in research. Uh, So you still have an opportunity to use that research, but you also have an opportunity to, if you love teaching, to be able to teach and use whatever experiences you had as a PhD student uh, in teaching. Mm. So the job markets are definitely changing. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see more uh, students uh, who may be able to have opportunities in online learning uh, because that is a, a big growth area, particularly for continuing education, even if it's not for uh, undergraduate education. Education. But I think it's I think it's going to be looked at at the undergraduate level as too, uh, of the the technology mediated learning and opportunities to take classes if you're not on campus. Uh, and and uh, I think uh, uh, one of the the topics, um, one of the the, jo- the job placement numbers that that, that you you stated, and one of the kind of. I guess concerns that, that that's been in there. If you read the Chronicle of Higher Education, if you read Inside Higher Ed, the, the two big, I, I guess, trade publications, um, they've really focused a lot when they talk about graduate education on those post uh, graduate. You know, when you when you graduate, what sort of commitment you have. And uh, in the Chronicle, a couple of days ago, uh, they talked about well, the number of uh, doctorates awarded by American universities in 2013 increased 3.5 percent, uh, and yet. Uh, the number of job placements uh, uh, post-graduation uh, fell to 62.7% in 2013, which is the lowest number in about 12 years. And and, and that seems to me one of the, the big challenges of at least doctoral education. Uh, I know, you know, having graduated from, from the College of Law here, uh, that there's certain challenges in the, the legal employment market as, as well. Uh, Karen, I don't know if, if you're able to touch on, on A, the issue, and B, kind of your discussions and, and, and Emily also, if, if you've talked to, to doctoral students here, kind of what, what the, if, if the, there's probably no easy fix, but what's being done on that particular topic? Yeah, I, I read that same article as well. Yeah. And I, as some of my concerns are there's not enough data in that article, I think, to give us anything to hang our hats on yet. Um, there's uh, the 62% number is, well, I had asked 62% of what yeah. uh, and compared to what uh, and in what disciplines. Uh, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good data out there. I think this article was probably so short and summarized that it really didn't give us uh, the, the kind of data that we really need. Clearly, the job markets are slowly changing. Um, and as you mentioned, the adjunct market is, is certainly opening up. Um, and I think some of the programs that we have in the graduate school, in graduate life and wellness, in the PhD career services area that we have, the leadership program that Emily mentioned are all ways that graduate schools are trying to assist uh, students into figuring out what their best move might be. Um, the other thing that we've done at Michigan State, and probably about half of the AAU institutions are doing now, which is we are posting online 
on our application web pages mm-hmm. uh, all of the outcomes data for PhD students on our campus. Mm-hmm. So you can look up um, for every department we have on campus, every PhD program, uh, the number of students who were admitted, uh, mm-hmm. the average grade point average, the time to degree, the completion rates, and then a summary of where students went in the previous two or three years uh, based on job sector. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're hoping that that kind of information will also help students make a better choice about Mm -hmm. what it is they'd like to do uh, and where they'd like to go to school and 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 thinking about the Ph.D. program. Mm -hmm. Um, It certainly is also the case that people who are interested in pursuing knowledge, understanding more about their disciplines and really having a passion for that and learning how to do research – um, are not going to let that stand in their way. Uh, they're still going to pursue Ph.D. programs. But mm-hmm. what we're hoping is people will go in with open eyes as to what the the job market's going to look like and the fact that the job market is changing relatively quickly. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the other information about students who are finishing any kind of a, a higher education degree, bachelor's, master's, or Ph.D., is that you are likely to have many more jobs and many more different kinds of jobs in your lifetime than perhaps I've had, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I have a faculty member at Michigan State, and I moved into an administrative role, but I'm still at Michigan State, and I'm st- it's still sort of a faculty role. Mm-hmm. Uh, many other students um, are interested in moving from one career to the, to the next, uh, and some of the skills that you can pick up in thinking about different kinds of careers is, how do I make that move if I want to go into industry? How do I make that move if I want to go into a nonprofit or government uh, sector mm-hmm. position? Yeah, and I was uh, my one of my thoughts about reading this article and, and sort of graduate education as a whole um, is that you know in an, in a increasingly knowledge information economy, mm. um, the value of the skills you learn during the you know advanced and especially the doctoral education, um, those skills I I have to imagine are, are just going to be increasingly valuable in the job market outside of the academy, you know, and in those other sectors that you mentioned. Um, and I think, you know, I, it was an interesting article to look at in terms of numbers. Um, uh, my statistical thinking kicked in almost immediately when I was looking at it. And I said, well, I wonder, you know, if that's within a, one standard deviation of <laughs> the previous year. But um, the, the thing that stood out to me was there's the decrease from 69.2% to, for, to 62.7% um, in placements, and yet they mention um, the proportion of social science scholars with postgrad commitments was seventy percent. Physical science and education PhDs were sixty six percent. I almost wonder if there's there's very specific uh, degrees or very programs. specific anchor kind of yeah, uh, to, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to speak ill of any programs or their value, but you know, one of my thoughts was, geez, I, I wonder if. You know, maybe there are humanities programs that are getting harder and harder to um, find placements after you graduate. That you know, what other programs are difficult to place? No, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I think it's a conversation that will still occur. I mean, I feel like it's it's been occurring for uh, particularly the last few years now uh, uh, nationally. So, uh, one, uh, well, you know, Emily, do you do you hear from students on on, on the the topic or? Um, I don't hear much, but throughout, I guess, the sphere of the university, you're hearing about the importance of um, gaining those valuable skills from different internship opportunities, um, different work opportunities that graduate students have. And I I think it's referred to as uh, the creation of the T-shaped student. Um, Mm. And that's, that's kind of what I'm hearing about at the undergraduate and graduate level. And one uh, one thing that I you know the, the last topic on on mine that I was hoping that, that, that both of you could touch on uh, um, uh, making the case for graduate education. This was another article in, in the Chronicle, uh, uh, and uh, it focused uh, uh, on, on the Council of Graduate Schools meeting uh, and some of the comments made by uh, uh, the president of the University of California, uh, the keynote speaker, I believe, if I'm accurate, uh, Janet Napolitano, the former uh, secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, mm. uh, uh, who... Uh, uh, the tone of the articles seemed to, to make it, uh, at least to me, seem like she, she almost chided uh, some of uh, those present uh, for not um, participating in efforts to make the case for graduate education, either at, on the Hill or lobbying uh, external stakeholders for the importance. And I know 
Here, we've placed a lot of emphasis in, in terms of maybe going to the capital, uh, the Michigan capital. We, we have efforts uh, in place. But uh, Karen, do you think uh, uh, the, the president, uh, President Napolitano, was, was right to uh, maybe have a little bit of a, a dig? She, she, you don't want her to appear, quote, lonely when she goes to the Hill uh, again, do you? <laughs> yeah, no, I thought she made a very good point. I, I think it's incumbent upon uh, faculty, uh, gr- graduate schools, for sure, um, provosts, presidents, of institutions to make the case not only for graduate education, but I think they're increasingly having to make the case for undergraduate education mm. as a public good. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, that's how a university started as a as a way to make better citizens and to have a, uh, a an educated electorate uh, in order to make democracy work better. Uh, I think probably undergraduate education may still be thought of as a public good, but it's hard to. Square that with a decrease in the state funding for public universities, and that's happening across the country. Uh, graduate education may be a little bit more difficult to make the case that it's also a public good. Mm. Um, but in fact, all of those individuals who are more highly educated and become uh, attorneys or doctors or dentists or nurses or social workers or educators uh, also do help keep our uh, economy afloat and also, I think, help feed the, the democracy that we that we now live in. Um, I think it is important for us to make the case, who better than probably graduate schools, to, to, to make the case with our uh, elective representatives, both at the state level and at the federal level. Uh, because if you look across these, those individuals, um, not many of them have a graduate education. Not many of them have a doctoral education. Mm. Uh, so it's, uh, it's incumbent upon us to explain the importance and the relevance of those individuals. Uh, certainly, I think, for... Graduate education and um, research, uh, which is largely at the doctoral level but also at the master's level, uh, many of society's most vexing problems across the globe are going to be solved by groups of individuals who are trained to think uh, and to conduct research and to synthesize information and to talk across disciplines. Uh, And I think we're going to need more of those individuals, not fewer. Uh, But we need to be able to talk to the elected representatives to keep the funding lines uh, in agreement with the kinds of magnitude of problems we have to solve. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emily, do you find uh, do you find uh, at least you know maybe internally or, or when you work with some of the external uh, partners that Cogs has, do you, do you find that you have to make a large case in terms of for graduate students? Do you feel like people quote unquote get it uh, as it were? Because uh, obviously MSU has uh, what is it thirty eight thousand undergraduate students and, and around. Or is it we're up to near enough twelve thousand graduate students now? Twelve thousand graduate and graduate professionals. Yeah, yes. yeah. If you include that, so uh, what's what's your experience been like? Um, so so far, I think my experience has been largely making a case for for graduate students. Mm-hmm. We are very undergraduate dr- undergraduate driven, um, and I I don't think that that graduate students and professional students get the credit that that is deserved. Um, I a large amount of the funding that the university takes in is from grants written by professional students and graduate students. Um, and I think in, in the question that we need to ask is why pursue a graduate education? And I think there are several different reasons. I think um, students have a passion for a certain subject. They want to deeper their knowledge of a certain subject. Um, they've found their passion and know that they, they need to, they need to deepen their knowledge of that subject. And, um, I also think that um, an increasing number of jobs are requiring advanced degrees, and it's not enough just to get a bachelor's degree anymore. Um, so I think that graduate professional students are really feeling that pressure, that that's what you need in order to succeed in the, the new knowledge economy. Yeah. Good stuff. Killing it. You guys are killing it. <laughs> I, was, I literally was just sitting there listening to Karen, and I was like, yeah, that's right. And then I thought, oh, wait, we have to talk. well these are uh important issues and good thing i feel confidence great confidence in our uh the dean of our graduate school and uh the president of our council of graduate students and um so i think we can consider these issues solved essentially Uh, you You feel uh, good yeah i i feel good i I solved you feel like this is a solved issue all the issues we've discussed today are are resolved yeah i mean at least here at michigan state in this room Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah absolutely okay (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, and anyone is welcome to come live here in this room where all these problems are solved. Uh, although we do have, you know, security-related uh, things that we need. And to we have no of. food or running water. In this That's room. true. Yeah. There is no bathroom in this suite, so 
important important note. Uh, we usually finish off our program Red Cedar Ranker with uh, the Go White section where we talk about the week ahead, looking up to the upcoming events uh, at MSU and uh, things going on in the world. Um, my event coming up is uh, the State Room is hosting a holiday tea Saturday, December twentieth at two p.m. and uh, it's just a little chance to join uh, join your colleagues or friends for a celebration of the season. And it's uh, a holiday tea. That's as non-denominational as you can get. That's true. That's uh, the, uh, well, tea is, is yeah. Tea is a bit British, yeah. yes, <laughs> but uh, tea is also uh, enjoyed in many other uh, areas of the world. I'll give you that. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, so is this like tea is in high tea at four o'clock in the afternoon? Or? It's 2 p.m., so that would be mid-tea, I guess. What's What oh, other teas are there? Uh, Low tea? Seven- <laughs> You said tea and Stefan's face just Pre-tea. lit up. <laughs> he's, he's glowing. He's, this is he's, this, this is, is my, my area. this is my uh, yeah. uh, limited area of expertise. I think my dissertation should be on this. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, um, I might I might go to this. I, I'm very happy you brought this up. Yeah. Well, it's December 20th at 2 p.m. Saturday, and it's uh, it says reservations are required. Okay. Okay. And what what is there food uh, available? Uh, great question. You can call 517-432-5049. That's uh, 432-5049, probably 25049 if you're on campus. Uh, now you can reserve your spot. Thanks. The stateroom right here at Kellogg Center. Has to have crumpets. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. Where are, this, are there scones and crumpets uh, available at this? I have so many questions. I might have to next have a time, very long conversation. Next time on Red Cedar Rank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Karen, do you have a, a, an event that you wish to bring up? Uh, no, we'll be uh, graduate commencement starts at 3.30 in the Breslin Center on Friday afternoon. So mm-hmm. we're welcoming graduates to come to that. Uh, and uh, if you are not going through commencement but need a place to sit and study, check out Chittenden Commons right on Circle Drive. We're happy Great. to have you there. Emily, I know you have a uh, uh, an event that you wish to, to plug. I do. Um, so the COG 7th Annual Graduate Academic Conference at the GAC will be held on Friday, February 27th. And uh, the deadline to submit an abstract to present is January 14th, so we still have a little bit of time to get those abstracts in. And the primary goal of this conference is to give graduate and professional students the opportunity to present their work um, to an educated community and to promote interdisciplinary networking and uh, help graduate and professional students develop their public speaking skills. So um, we're really looking forward to it. Grad students have the opportunity to do a three-minute dissertation competition, a (laughs) 10-minute themed Mm -hmm. research presentation, or a poster presentation. And uh, our keynote speaker is Dr. Brian Luke Seward, and we talked a little bit on the program about um, stress management and mental health, and he's a world-renowned and respected international expert uh, in the field of stress management and mind, body, spirit healing and corporate health promotion. So we're really looking forward to having him as our keynote speaker. Is the dissertation competition, is that sort of essentially a freestyle rap battle for doctoral <laughs> students? It's create. You can get creative with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poetry it slam kind yeah, of a thing. It is yeah. now. <laughs> well, uh, uh, on, for, from the sublime to the, well, ridiculous here, I, uh, uh, New Year's is coming up, as, as we all heard know. And, uh, you've heard of that? Mm-hmm. It just happens to happen every year oh, uh, yeah. uh, on a particular day. And I thought I'd look up some very interesting statistics and facts some figures uh <laughs> we've been <laughs> waiting all show for this yeah <laughs> you you look skeptical already so did you know uh, <clears throat> more vehicles are stolen on, on new year's day than any other holiday <laughs> <laughs> that's that's only respecting holidays not other days of the year <laughs> no okay so uh, holidays and um the <laughs> the times square new year's ball um the <laughs> <laughs> I can't get through. I've never seen him this joyful. First tea and now the... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, was first dropped in 1907. Huh. It now weighs 11,875 pounds, though. Wow. Uh, and is adorned with 2,668 Waterford crystals. Mm. Do they add a crystal every year? Is that the... Well, it, it used to be <laughs> iron. <laughs> iron and wood, apparently. So... Oh, really? <laughs> That's not a very... Yeah, it's a major... I was just thinking about it. That's a major upgrade. Yeah, and iron and wood. It's a very expensive upgrade. And yeah. uh, my, my favorite statistic of all of this, though, is that apparently 
in uh, you, uh, in Italy, people apparently wear red underwear on New Year's Day to bring good luck all year long, which uh, uh, hmm. I didn't know. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was quite the statistic for uh, for me to to learn. So. Aside from the fact that lobsters and chicken are bad luck uh, to eat on mm-hmm. New Year's Day, because apparently, uh, quote, lobsters can move backward and chickens can scratch in reverse, so it's thought these foods could bring a reversal of fortune. So <laughs> that implies that other foods cannot, other uh, animal-based foods are can't move backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna argue that it's not correct. But but this is from the International Business Times. It's oh, uh, all right. well, reputable. Yeah. Uh, publication. Sure. So, Granted, it's uh, on pink paper, but yeah. <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah. So that was my New Year's uh, Eve uh, uh, fun facts. Uh, Fantastic. <laughs> Those were you. very fun. Almost as much fun as watching the joy on your face <laughs> as you tried to read them. Uh, well, we've done it again. We've reached another end of the show for the Red Cedar Ranker. Joined this week by Karen Klomparent, Dr. Karen Klomparent, uh, the dean and uh, Associate Provost of the Graduate School. Thank you for being with us. Happy to be here. And Emily Bank, uh, I always want to add an S to your name, but you're a singular bank, uh, president of <laughs> the multiple. MSU. Not multiple <laughs> banks. Uh, just just the one, and that's uh, a great one to have with you if you're on the Council of Graduate Students, the president. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. And as always, my co-host slash sidekick, Thank Stephen you. Fletcher. Uh, Can I get a sidecar eventually? Is that, yeah, is that absolutely. Possible? Absolutely. I do own a moped. So I've ridden on the back of a moped with a 350-pound man once. It looked entirely ridiculous, and I will never Ooh. repeat that. Well, so. we'll be looking for that on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you in the new year. Yes. Happy New Year to you. Uh, happy New Year to you, And too. happy holidays. And uh, we'll be back in 2015 with the Red Cedar Ranker.